Good morning, good morning. Let's try this. Uh, I'm excited to be here. How about you? All right. Hey, can we give our worship band a hand? They just killed it today. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Oh, awesome. So did you know that not everything you read on the internet is true? I know, hard to believe. You think if it's on there, it's got to be true, right? But the reality is it's not true. That not everything you read on the internet is true. Sorry to burst your bubbles. How many of you have heard the story that Fred Rogers wears long sleeves because he has full tattoos up and down his arms because he was like a former Navy SEAL? Anyone else heard that rumor? Yeah, totally not true. Uh, And so actually, I was wondering if that was true or not. I'd read that on the internet one time. And when I heard that there was this documentary on the life of Fred Rogers called Won't You Be My Neighbor, I was like, I got to find that out. Who else grew up watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Um, Probably most of us, right? Because it started in the late 60s and uh, on PBS. Awesome show. Um, And so uh, they were playing the documentary in Uptown, and every once in a while, my wife, Kristen, and I will venture out of the suburbs into Uptown and kind of to remind us what life was like without kids. So we got a babysitter to watch our three oldest, and then uh, we have a three-week-old at home, and so uh, we're like, well, we got to take the baby on our date. So we grabbed um, Mariah, our daughter, and took her downtown to go see the new Fred Rogers documentary. But, you know, we're from the suburbs in our minivan, so I told Kristen, I was like, all right, listen, if anyone asks, our daughter's name is Raya, not Mariah, because that's much more uptownish, right? And uh, we didn't come in a minivan, and uh, this is our first, and uh, I work at a nonprofit, and uh, you're a speaker and activist, all right? Uh, just trying to blend into uptown. But uh, this documentary was pretty powerful, and... Um, it talks a lot about Fred Rogers' life, and I encourage you to check this out. Um, and actually, I'm going to play a quick two-minute trailer just talking about this because uh, we're going to look a little bit more at Fred Rogers. Go ahead and play that video uh, for uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor. A television program for children made its unauspicious debut on station WQED in Pittsburgh. Its host, Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers? Yeah. What would you like to tell? I like you. I like you, my dear. Thank you very much for telling me that. You take all of the elements that make good television and do the exact opposite. You have Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Low production values, simple set, unlikely star. Yet, it worked. Hello. I've always felt that I didn't need to put on a funny hat or jump through the hoop to have a relationship with a child. He was always trying to get a message across in every show. A week on death. What does assassination mean? A divorce. Some people get married and after a while they're so unhappy that they don't want to be married anymore. He was radical. I know everyone says that, but he was radical. They didn't want black people to come and swim in their swimming pools. My being on the program was a statement for Fred. A neighborhood was a place where, at times, that you felt worried, scared, unsafe, would take care of you. He had a singular vision of kindness and love. Love is at the root of everything. All learning, all relationships, love or the lack of it. Children have very deep feelings, just the way everybody does. There must be times when you do feel blue. 
I'm not feeling blue right now, though. Me neither. <laughs> Won't you be my neighbor? Well, I suppose it's an invitation. It's an invitation for somebody to be close to you. The greatest thing that we can do is to help somebody know that they're loved and capable of loving. Won't you please, won't you please, please won't you be my neighbor? We watched that last weekend, and man, it was a powerful story. And if we caught it, but he says, the greatest thing we can do is help someone know that they're loved and capable of loving. The greatest thing we can do is to help someone know that they're loved and capable of loving. Part of uh, Fred Rogers' story was he's actually an ordained minister, a pastor. And when TV was this kind of new thing, he felt actually in uh, seminary, God was calling him to a TV ministry. And he felt the best way to do that was to do a kids program. And so that was his ministry for years and years. And there's something about that, that message of Fred Rogers, that the greatest thing we can do is help someone know they're loved and capable of loving. There's something in me, and probably in you when you watch that, about the feeling of a neighborhood, that longing for community, that, that longing for, to be in relationship with someone who loves us just the way that we are. Someone who wants to know us. Someone who wants to, to be in community with us. And if you're like me, when I watch Fred Rogers' life, uh, married for decades, uh, the father to two sons, they speak very highly of their dad. There, there's a longing inside to, man, I want my life to have purpose. I want to show others that they are loved. And so, when we hear that story, when we watch that, that little clip, something stirs inside of us. What is that? What is it that's, that, that longing for, to know someone that they love us, that they are proud of us, that we want to be a part of this neighborhood where everyone is welcomed and accepted? doesn't matter the color of our skin if we're in a wheelchair, that all are welcome in this neighborhood. And this longing for purpose, to, to make a difference in the world, where, where does that come from that's inside each one of us? Those longings are put into it by our creator, God. Our God loves us so much. And God, as a triune, three in one, has been in perfect community and perfect love for all of eternity. And he wants us to experience that same thing. And so those longings inside of our heart were placed there for a reason, by design, by our creator. But until we know, we can't really understand our purpose and why we're here until we understand who we are and who God is. And so this morning, as we dive into Psalm 86, this great psalm written by the warrior poet King David, we're going to find out what's our response. How do we live? But first, we're going to ask, who are we and who is God? And we're going to be diving into Psalm 86 today. Uh, before we dive into our psalm, uh, would you just join me in a word of prayer? God, I thank you that uh, you are here with us. God, I thank you that this longing for, to know someone 
who loves us just the way we are. This longing for community and purpose was placed inside us by you for a purpose. So God, I pray that right now as we explore your word that you would come alive inside of us, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, oh God. God, these would be your words. I pray for clarity and conviction. Thank you, God, for bringing us here today. Amen. Well, as we dive into Psalm 86, it's a lonely prayer, a lonely song of David. It opens and closes with David begging God to come rescue him. And then in the middle, it's punctuated by this deliberate act of praise. Deliberate because God has not yet come to the rescue. David is saying, man, I'm still in need of rescue. I still need you to come save me. But you know what? Even in the midst of those struggles and the doubts, even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, which we talked about last week as we dove into Psalm 23, I can still praise you. Though you slay me, I will praise you. And there's something powerful about that, that in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of not sure of what's going on and still needing a rescue to say, you know what? I'm going to set that aside, and God, I'm still going to praise you. One of the things I love about the Psalms, we've talked about this, is that most of the Bible is God speaking to us, but the Psalms are really our prayers recorded speaking to God, and it really covers every single human emotion. And I love that the Psalms record our, our doubts, our uncertainties. But there's this dichotomy that even in the midst of, hey, God, I need you to save me. But you know what? I'm going to praise you. But I still haven't received an answer yet, but I'm going to praise you. And even in the midst of my depression and my pain, I'm still going to praise you. I'm going to show one more quick video this morning. And this comes from the documentary, which is kind of why I set this up. But if if you ever watch the TV show, there's these hand puppets. And uh, Daniel Tiger was one of Fred Rogers' hand puppets. And Daniel actually embodies Fred Rogers and his own voice, his own doubts. And uh, they actually talked about this, this duet that, that um, Daniel Tiger is going to sing with Lady Anne Berlin. And Daniel Tiger, which Fred Rogers, is expressing his doubts. Maybe I'm just a mistake And then she's like, no, no, no. And she sings over him. And it's a beautiful moment. And she shares that when she read the script, she thought, oh, okay, I'm going to sing back to him that know that you are loved just the way you are. And then, you know, Daniel Tiger will be like, oh, okay, I get it. But instead, watch what happens as, as they sing together. The doubts and the message of hope and loving. And it really echoes Psalm 86 that both these can go on at the same time. So let's check out this one more clip today and uh, go ahead and play that. Sometimes I wonder if I'm a mistake. I'm not like anyone else I know. When I'm asleep or even awake, sometimes I get to dreaming that I'm just a fake. I'm not like anyone else. I think you are just fine as you are. I really must tell you I do 
things I know are big and are wide. I'm very small and quite tiny. Or shaking, or most of the time I'm weak and I'm mild. Do you suppose that's a shame? I wonder if I'm just fine as you are. I'm not supposed to be scared. Sometimes I shake, wondering, isn't it true that the strong never break? I'm not like anyone else. No, I'm not like anyone else. I think you are just fine, exactly the way you are. The way I look? Yes. The way I talk? Yes. The way I love? Especially that. You don't think I'm a mistake? You're the tiger I love most in this whole universe. Oh, thanks, Lady Evelyn. I love you, too. Why did I play that? Some of you are like, that's weird, Eric. Some of you are like, loving it and you're feeling it. It kind of depends on your Enneagram and all that. Let me spell it out for you. There are times you're going to walk in here and the band's going to be up here singing, you're the king of my heart. You're the breath in my lungs. And you've walked in there and man, you are struggling. And man, life is hard and you are uncertain. And you're like, I can't sing that. I don't really believe it. I'm struggling right now. How am I going to make rent? Or how am I going to figure things out? Because me and my spouse are on different pages. I love that both parts come together. And when we come in on a Sunday morning, one of the things we want to do as a worship team is to sing over you. That even if you're struggling, to believe it. You can still express your doubts and uncertainties while receiving that at the same time. That's what a community does, is we sing over each other. We say, hey, you're not a mistake. There's no one else like you. We're so glad that you are here today. And some of that is what's going on in this psalm, as David is is desperate, and God, save me. And then he's going to praise him. Then he's saying, God, I still need you to save me. We don't... We don't just hear God's word or, or hear a great song and magically everything is better. That's okay. We go in and out of praising God and being desperate for him and, and being like, yes, God, you're awesome. And then, man, I don't know. I got all these doubts and that's okay. That's a journey. That's a relationship with God. True humility is agreeing with God about who you are. True humility is about agreeing with God about who you are. And true dependency is agreeing with God about who he is. True humility is agreeing with God about who you are. And true dependency is agreeing with God about who he is. So first, let's look at who are we. In Psalms 86, verse 1 says, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Like I said before, David is an awesome songwriter. I love this image Incline your ear, bow down your ear. It's this idea of a father and a child where the child is speaking and then the dad gets down. What was that? 
Man, I do this all the time with my little ones because they're so short. And as they talk to me, I'm like, what? what was that, Andrew? And I get down. That's what David is saying. God, bow down, incline your ear to me. Come, I need you. And it isn't amazing that although we're broken, imperfect, that as children of our heavenly Father, he accommodates us. He bows down to us. That is so beautiful. David says, I am poor and needy. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write that down. We are poor and needy. See, to understand who God is, we understand who we are. David says, I am poor and needy. The truth is, no matter how strong and independent that we think we are, Apart from the finished work of Christ on the cross, we are morally destitute. Uh, John Calvin says that we are totally depraved. The Apostle Paul, the church planner, says it this way in Romans 3. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The longer I walk with Christ, the more I realize how much I need God's love and grace in my life. The more I realize, man, I fall short of that perfect standard of loving people perfectly, of serving others the way that God wants me to love. And I realize, God, apart from your work on the cross through Jesus Christ, I am poor, I am needy. This Hebrew word for poor can also be translated as depressed. I know many, many of you have shared with me feelings of depression and anxiety and worry. Right here, David is seeing the same thing. God, I am depressed. God, I'm anxious. God, I need you. We all have needs. See, if we seek to find our needs satisfied in anything other than God, we will be let down. God is the only thing that completely can satisfy what we need. But see, the drift of the human soul is always towards self-reliance. Because as we walk with God a little bit, we go, I, I got this. I don't need to pray so much. I don't need to read my Bible. I don't need a small group. I'm good. I've learned a little bit. Because the drift of our soul is always towards self-reliance. But you and I have not been designed to operate our out of the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We were designed to be fueled by the Holy Spirit. We never mature in Christ so much that we don't need God. I pray that as a church, we never get so good at doing church that we don't need God to show up. Amen? We strive for excellence, but man, every Sunday we're like, we need you, God, because it's a race to get set up in here in the gymnasium and figure all this out. We need God. Number two, David understands he's a servant of God. He's a servant of God. David understands that he's poor and needy, imperfect, in need of grace, but he also knows he's a follower of the one true God. He is godly, or that word can also be translated as faithful. So there's this dichotomy of knowing that we are so in need of God's love and grace, but also knowing that we can come to God boldly because we are faithful servants of our good king, and our good king listens to us. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. He's reminding him, hey, God, I'm your servant. I'm your faithful follower. Come save me. 
When we pray, you can do that. You can remind God, God, I'm your child. That, that you have adopted me through Jesus Christ. And through Jesus' finished work on the cross, I've received the righteousness of Christ. So now, God, I'm going to pray boldly. I'm going to pray boldly for healing, for restoration, for direction, for purpose, whatever that might be. We can come boldly because of what Christ has done for us. David trusts in God and waits for his gracious response. And hope begins with submitting ourselves fully to the protection and providence of God. Hope begins by fully submitting ourselves to the protection and providence of God, saying, God, I'm going to trust you to protect me, to provide for me, to guide me. Well, that's who we are. Who, who is God? Number one, God is abounding in love. God is abounding in love. Verse 5, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. David says, God, you're good, so good. God is forgiving. God isn't just waiting to drop the hammer on us. God doesn't look at you with a scowl on his face. He's good. He is forgiving, and he is abounding. He's overflowing in steadfast love. 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love. In the very nature of God, there's a continuous outpouring or a dance of love, communication, and oneness because God himself is a relational community of love. And David sings in his song, God is abounding in steadfast love. This week, when you think of God, I want you to think that he's abounding. He's overflowing in love with you. He can't even contain it. He loves you so much, it's just spilling out everywhere. It's a faithful love that's different than any other love that you and I will experience. He's abounding in love. Number two, God is the one who answers. He's abounding in love and he answers us. Verse seven through eight. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you for you answer me. David is remembering the times in his life when he's called out to God and God has answered him. He's remembering, hey, I'm in the midst of this trouble, but I know you are the God who answers me. You're abounding in love and you answer me. David knows the nature of his God. He's promised to extend his goodness and his forgiveness and his love to all who call upon him. Verse 8, David says, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. Remember last week I said, when we're reading through the Old Testament, we have to understand that the defining moment, the defining event in the Old Testament is the exodus of God leading his people out of bondage and slavery, saying, you are my people. You have a purpose. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. David is remembering that singular event. And when he, when he says here, there's none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours, he is quoting a callback to Exodus chapter 15. It's the story that the people of God, the song that they sang after God led them out of bondage and slavery in Egypt through the Red Sea. And as the waters parted and they passed through and they went to the other side and their enemies are swallowed up in the waters, they sang this song. So David is remembering that and he's remembering if the same God can lead people out of slavery and bondage, if the same God who parts the Red Sea, that is the God who is abounding in love for me and that is the God I'm remembering who will answer me. David is quoting that and reminding himself of Yahweh, the divine warrior. Who... And, and what's awesome is that in, in the original song, Exodus 15, the they ask a question. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? 
It's a question. But David, as a great songwriter, he flips it around. Instead of a question, he makes it a positive affirmation. There's no other God like Yahweh. There's no one like you, God. He's saying, if he's done it before, he's going to do it again. If God has been faithful in your life, he's going to do it again. If God has saved and redeemed marriages all over, he can do it again. The goodness that you've seen in your life, God will do it again. Let me tell you a story from my own life. I've been a part of, of, of four different churches, plants, uh, churches getting started. And uh, God put a dream in my heart about eight years ago to start a church. And I got to be honest, this morning, I was standing in the back, oh, the band is up here, playing that special song. Man, I got choked up because that was the vision that God had given me of a community of people who love each other, a neighborhood church. We can be creative, that our worship band can sing a song written by our community from the text we're in and just seeing how God has moved. You know what? That dream almost died because it just went through stuff and life comes up and you think, no, I give up. I'm not going to do that. And I got to admit, starting a church is hard. And I got to admit that almost every Monday morning, no matter how good Sunday is, I want to quit because it's hard. lot of work and I think man just go on staff at some other church and get a get an easy job but you know what it wasn't so hard I wouldn't be driven to my knees because I could go work somewhere else and just do it on my own talents you know what I can't be this pastor of this church on my own strength And God has told me that's why you're here. I can't do it on my own. In the same way, maybe the season of trouble you're in is what God is going to use for your transformation. As you realize that I can't do this on my own. And you're going to be driven to your knees too because you're like, man, I can't parent these kids on my own. I need your help, God. I can't do what you've called me to do. My boss is hard to deal with. Sometimes God puts us in situations to stretch us, to show us that we need to lean on him. Amen. And what I've learned is what will reveal your heart is your prayer life. What's really true to your heart is going to be revealed in your prayer life. What are you praying about? What drives you to your knees? God will use that. So if we know that we are poor and needy but servants of God, that God is abounding in love, he's going to answer us. So what's our response? As we wrap up today, here's what David tells us. Verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. Number one, 
David's saying, teach me your way. Teach me your way. In the midst of his troubles, even in the midst of his uncertainties, David humbly asks him, hey, teach me your way so I can continue to walk in your truth. Even in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, when we are experiencing trials and difficulties, our desire is to ask God to keep teaching us, keep giving us his wisdom, that we can see our lives as God sees it. This is a prayer about forming the right habits, not just having the right intentions, saying, God, teach me your way so I can walk in those truths. It's over the summer saying, God, I'm not going to just slough off. I'm going to continue to follow you. I'm going to dive into your word that even if I'm traveling to my kids, all their games and up at the cabin and I'm doing all the different things, I'm going to continue to say, God, teach me your ways. We like to say here at uh, Mosaic, one of our values is that growing people change. Growing people change. We never arrive. We never get to that point where we say, man, I've learned enough. Man, I got to tell you, a couple months ago, we were in our small group, and uh, Ashley Cheek is in, in our group, and I don't think they're here today, so I can give her a shout out. And uh, we were talking about something, a scripture passage from my sermon, and she said something. And I was like, whoa, psh, mind blown. It's something that applied to my own life. Man, I was the one who wrote the sermon. I preached the sermon. We're discussing it in my small group. And someone else who's a recent follower of Christ says something. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. This is so good. I needed to hear this. That's why we need community. Because there are things that we can point out that you can see from other perspectives from people around you. I'm not saying you have to, it's, it's just small groups. I'm saying be in community. Be around people who can stretch you, who can encourage you, who can challenge you. We all need it. We never get to the point where we don't need that. Number two, David prays, unite my heart. And that, that phrase is, is a stark climax to this song. It implies a divided heart that needs to be united. The church planner Paul wrote about this in Romans 7. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. How many of you feel like that some days? God, I don't do the things I really want to do. Man, I want to serve my spouse and get up early and cook her breakfast, but man, it feels so much better to sleep in, right? Amen? Or like when you, when you see your kid in the dirty diaper and you're like, I'm just going to ignore it so that my spouse takes it, right? Like we want to do the right thing, but it's so hard. All of us, I think we struggle with, with this desires in our hearts. And sometimes we feel like our heart is divided and we're struggling and worn within us. And David says, unite my heart. In his desire to walk wisely in the presence of God, David asked for guidance and asked for a new heart. The promise in Ezekiel eleven nineteen is that God will give his people an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. And that promise was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost when God's spirit was poured out upon all of his people. And I want to tell you this morning that if you feel like you have a divided heart, if you feel like you're being torn in different directions and you want to serve God, but on the Friday night then you're doing stuff you don't want to do or, or Monday morning or whatever it might be, ask God to pour out his Holy Spirit upon your life. That God, I need you to fill me up, to unite my heart, to teach me. Number three, glorify the name of God. David says, I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. That's why we come together. We to lift up, to glorify the name of God. That's why we're going to gather on Thursday night at the Holland's Barn to sing some songs just to glorify God. 
to say, you know what, I don't have it all figured out, but in the midst of my troubles and uncertainties, I'm gonna lift up your name, I'm gonna glorify you, because I believe that if you've done it before, you're gonna do it again, and I believe that you are abounding in love, and I believe that you are the God who answers me, so we come together as a community to glorify and lift up his name. Do you know that praise is, an, is a weapon against our enemy? Our enemy, the devil, hates it when we lift up God because we're taking the spotlight off our own eyes and onto him. And as musicians, they're up here. They're, as priests, they're leading the way into battle. We have an enemy. Your enemy doesn't want your marriage to thrive. Your enemy doesn't want you to live with purpose. Your enemy doesn't want you to love everyone around you. And so when we gather together, when we sing these truths, we, we do a battle against the evil one. And God fills us up with his presence as we get our eyes off us and onto him, and he becomes our strength. And we say, God, we, we're going to do whatever you want us to do. And how does David then glorify the na name of God? He quotes God. Says, but you, O Lord, are a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. David actually quoting Exodus 34, 6 through 7 here. This is when Moses, after they were led through the Red Sea and they were on to Mount Sinai, and God gave them his, his law and his commandments. And here's what God said to Moses. Verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed... The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It's actually the most quoted Bible passage by the Bible. I think that means this is something pretty important, that God is trying to tell us about himself. God is merciful. God is gracious. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This week, as we glorify the name of God. Let's remember that God is gracious. He is smiling at us. He is abounding in love. And we are called to spread that love. The greatest thing we can do is to help people know that they are loved and capable of loving. And as I thought about this, as I'm finally gonna wrap up right now, I thought what a better way to illustrate that than with a leaf blower. All right, so last week was Father's Day. And my lovely wife gave me a new leaf blower. Yeah, tools are great. Here's the funny thing. What I've, I've learned this, uh, that Father's Day, is it cool to give men tools for Father's Day? Yeah. yeah. Can you give women like a blender or a vacuum for Mother's Day? Yeah. No. Isn't that funny how that works? Anyways, I just found that humorous. So I got a new handheld blower. This is just handy, mowing the lawn, blowing it off. Now about this, we are called to spread the message of Jesus, to blow it all around, right? I'm hot, felt good. But you know what, these little battery powered ones, I can go around, I can spread the message of Jesus, the good news, but eventually that battery pack is gonna die. You know what I have to do? I have to take off the battery pack and I have to plug in to God, and get charged up, to get filled up. That's one of the reasons this Thursday we're gonna gather, we're gonna get filled up with the love and the grace of God as we pour out, and then we get filled up with church and our small group, and we fill up with the word of God, then we go around, and we're blowing it, 
and we're spreading the good news of Jesus, saying, hey, God is gracious. God loves you. God isn't, isn't ashamed of you. God loves you. He invites you into his family, into his neighborhood. That's what we're called to do, to spread all around the message of God's love and grace. But if we just continue to do it on our own strength, we're going to run out. We're going to burn out. We have to keep plugging into God's word. Amen? So this week, I encourage you to plug in to God, to glorify him, to come on Thursday to our night of worship, get together with some friends if you can't make it, plug into God's word, continue praying, keep growing, keep serving God. And know this week that he is abounding in love and our God is the one who answers. Would you stand with me? God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the book of Psalms that as we dive into it, we can just see the whole realm of human emotions. God, I pray that we would understand who we are in light of your word. God, that we are poor and needy. God, that apart from the finished work of Christ on the cross, we have nothing to offer. God, I pray that we would see you as you are, abounding in love. You answer us. And God, that then our response would be to glorify you, to ask you to teach us your ways. God, to unify our hearts, to fill us with your Holy Spirit, so that, God, we can invite others into your neighborhood, into your family. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, one quick uh, thing. We've got our, our business meeting right after this, our partners meeting. Uh, so go ahead and grab your kids. Come back. Sit down, and then we'll hand out the ballots. Uh, again, anyone can come to the meeting. Only partners are, are allowed to vote. If you want to know more about partnership, you can talk to me or Pastor Nate. It's a pretty simple process, but just to go through that. Um, but receive the benediction, and then we're going to go out of here, and you can grab your kids and then come back, and we'll meet right in here for the meeting. Uh, may you know that God loves you. Not, not just loves you, but he so loves you. He's abounding in love, that God answers you. And may that knowledge give you strength as you plug into him this week. Uh, I'll see you in a couple minutes for our business meeting.